ads, schmads. If you don't want ads, that's okay. Choose the Dave McWilliams Plus option on Apple Podcasts. And hey, presto, no ads. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. How are you doing there? I hope the head is as clear and bright-eyed as that of John Davis <laughs> sitting opposite me. We've had a combination. I hope your Christmas has been okay. No massive family rise. How are you, Ed? How good. is your head this morning? I'm, I'm delicate. I'm delicate this morning. Right, okay. But that's okay. Christmas is fantastic. John, Great John loves Christmas. John is like that fellow. What's it, What's that I, That American actor? I don't get the name. He dresses up in green at Christmas. Oh, uh, uh, Elf. Yeah, 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 yeah. I knew something like that. Yeah, I just don't get that at all. I'm slightly more on the grumpy side at Christmas time. <laughs> yeah, you're with the Grinch. The other I was, green I was, I was up in NI uh, for the Christmas and I'm back down in the, uh, in the clutches of the Republic. But always good. All sweetness and light. Excellent. All sweetness Excellent. and light. My mother, just want a little bit of a shout out to the nurses in St. Michael's Hospital in Dunleary. We talked about them the other week. My mum was in hospital for two weeks. She's out for Christmas. That's great. And they were just amazing to her. So thank you all very, very much from our family to everybody at St. Michael's Hospital in Dunleary. Here, 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 here. Well, what we're going to talk about today, John, is we're going to do a review of the year, a review of 2023, the stories that we talked about, the issues, the economic ideas, the things that perplex us, the things that we thought were fascinating, and hopefully the things that we shed a little bit of light on for you, our listener. And again, thank you so much for all your support this year. It has been phenomenal the amount of times John and I are kind of stopped on absolutely darts and buses yeah. in town, all sorts, and all over the place. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's the, always a thrill after the say. support on Patreon, and sometimes we're over in the UK and you hear people in the states. I met loads of people, so it's it's great. So it's been a wonderful. All those year. people on the slot machines all in Vegas. On the slot machines in Vegas, exactly. I <laughs> know. <laughs> I tell you what I did in America. I just I didn't tell you right. Go on. So Vegas. In the lift. What happens going in Vegas down. stays in Vegas. But this doesn't, because this is good, right? We're in the lift going down, feeling a little bit ropey after kind of jet lag and carry on or whatever. And Shan sees this thing, you know, the spa hotel, right? Yeah. But in the spa is a clinic. Right. And in it's so American, right? Yeah. Okay. So can you imagine? And there's I'm I'm looking and I'm squinting, this thing called a hangover buster. 
And when oh, you yeah. go in there and you go in and you get an IV drip. Right. <laughs> like, what like the hell's in the IV drip? You know, after a couple of weeks of carousing, right? Yeah. You know, what's, what's obviously wrong with you is you lose all your salts and your iodines and your this, right. that and the other. Right? And you just hook up to the thing. Only in America you pay. You pay Jeez. a nurse, you hook up and you sit there for about an hour or for about half an hour yeah. and two litres of nice stuff goes back into your veins. It's you're, like an oil change. It's like an oil change and you're golden. I felt like Keith Richards. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Anyway, that's my renewal for this Christmas. Oh, that's brilliant. I, I actually, I had images of yourself and Shan renewing your vows under Elvis <laughs> when you were there. Did you me, get to do that? Me in my Elvis onesie going around. <laughs> Love me tender. <laughs> Actually, I'll tell you, I was in another, speaking of bizarre American things, before we talk about the year that passed, I was in a bar off the strip called the Atomic Liquor Store. Right. Sounds good. Yeah, yeah, it was. It's a pretty, it's a pretty dodgy place. Very, very dark. It's, it also, it also accords with the great, there's a great piece of advice I've been given about bars, particularly in England, is never go into a bar with a flat roof, right? Yes. This had the flat roof, but the reason it had the flat roof was the following. When Oppenheimer, biggest movie of the year, right? Yeah. When the Yanks, think about this, were exploding nuclear bombs in the Nevada desert in the late 1940s. Yeah. People used to go to the atomic liquor store, go on the roof and watch the thing. I see. Do you know what? If they I was around, I would have done that too. But it's, but, it's I not know. mental. Like totally, radiation totally, yeah. sickness, the whole thing. You're sitting up there with a gin and tonic or a tequila or something. With a bang. Exactly. <laughs> Watching a nuclear explosion. I just thought, man. Anyway, what have you had? What's what's rocking your well, world? Well, I'll tell you what. I was I was kind of looking back on, on last year. So I started looking at the year that, that we had. And we had a really good year. We did, yes. And we covered an awful lot of stuff. But I was just kind of going through it and I realised a couple of things. Oh, 2023, we stopped talking about Brexit. Did we? We stopped talking about it because Brexit was an important team. For a good few years. For a yeah, good few yeah, years. Yeah. And then 23, we stopped, which was probably a good well, thing, I think let's, let's, let's think about that for a minute, John, right? It is because I think the Brits themselves got so fed up of Brexit you know, the get Brexit done stuff. Yeah. Then Boris Johnson disappears. So you don't have the buffoon at the top, right? He's replaced by this sort of technocratic guy who seems to me very, very weak. But it was also because, remember this time last year, Britain was in a total mess. Mm. Remember they had a currency crisis. Yeah. They had a bond market run. Interest rates went through the roof. But what there is in the UK, and I was actually just talking about it the other day to somebody, there is the legacy of Brexit is this extraordinary position the Brits are in where they seem to have talked themselves into a depression almost. Yeah. Right. So the economy there is just moving sideways. The housing market is down. Unemployment is beginning to rise. And there is, and I was trying to explain, it's a funny thing to, to explain. You know, when we talk about economic growth, right? Mm. It's a sort of a, a weird concept. It's a sort of a nebulous comfort. For a lot of people, it's just a number. But for me, it's more like a feeling. And by that, I mean, that when economic growth stops, which it has been in the UK, yeah. what you forget is that means people's income begins to fall. People's real income begins to fall. And then things like cost of living crises, all these things become much more material mm. in a country where the economic growth rate has stopped. And the thing about the UK is they still have to figure out what their economic model is post-Brexit. Yeah. And, you know, 
I don't think they've got there yet at all. But that's interesting. So we weren't talking about Brexit. And, you know, to add to that, the cost of crisis in, in the UK, I was listening to Maggie, my eldest, who's spent last year over there, and she was kind of very much living the cost of living crisis. You know, she was on a shoestring budget because rents are so high. It's her first job, so she's not yeah. getting a huge amount of pay. But, like, she was noticing, you know, on a weekly basis, the price of bread going up. Well, you have this strange problem in the UK, which is that locally generated inflation is still quite high. Mm. You might remember Mark Blythe about a year ago told us the UK imports the lion's share of its food. Yes. So we forget that because we export so much food. Yeah. Right? So if you're importing food and your currency is falling, your food is getting more expensive. Yeah. So these are really, really basic things. We in this, in this, in this house, are, are we're experiencing the British cost of living crisis here. Lucy's experiencing it, but she's passing it on to the parents. Yeah, so yeah, we're yeah, experiencing yeah. it completely here. But it's like England is in a sort of a transition period. Yeah, and it will find its way back. But it's interesting that while we kind of stopped talking about Brexit and the kind of UK, we did do a few episodes on the UK, but we did a European tour. Oh, that was that or, was or, a or should I say you did a European that tour? Was, <laughs> that, that was actually yeah, that was a, that was a very interesting. You know, because, you know, again, there is this concept called Europe, but Europe mm. doesn't exist. Europe is individual countries, yeah. which are very, very different economies, very, very different cultural. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I've always thought that economics is a product of culture. And to superimpose one model of economics on a number of countries is wrong because all economics is, the economy is a system of organization. How do you organise the society of large? This sounds very anti-EU. No, 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 no. On the contrary, what it's yeah. saying, what saying is, is that all these countries have idiosyncratic ways of, of behaving, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So if you think that the economy is a way of organising yourself, then you go to Germany and you think, well, how did they organise themselves? And then I think we talked to Andrea Binder. Mm. She said, look, there is an industrial aristocracy in Germany that still runs the country. And that industrial aristocracy wants cheap energy. Yeah. Why do they want cheap energy? Because the Germans continue to produce heavy industry. Mm. So that means that they are much, much closer to Mr. Putin. Yeah. Because they want cheap energy. But because they're not very, very public in Germany, yeah. they've, they're clever enough to hide their wealth in Germany. It's a sort of the, the backroom deals are being done all the time. And then, for example, we went to France and France was a totally different story. And in France, what it was, was the story of the riots in July. You That's might remember. Right. And yeah. The riots in July. And again, our guest told us something extraordinary, that French police killed three times as many protesters as German police do. So they're trigger happy. Yeah. They are very, very trigger happy. Yeah, they are. And... Button happy too. But yeah, exactly. But at the same time, we forget the French economy has taken this massive bet. And this is what I find interesting on inequality, on global inequality, because France produces luxury goods. Yeah. Who buys luxury goods are people at the very, very high end. Yeah. And yeah. that's where the French have bet on glamour and they've bet on upmarket stuff and it's done extremely well. Of course, they have a nuclear power, they make airplanes, they make trains, all yeah. that sort of stuff. And then we went to my favourite, of course, Italy. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the shorthand about Italy is it's a basket case and it's backward and it's going... And then you go to Italy, you say, hold on a second. And what you notice is the Italians don't make any tat. Everything they make is high-end. Yeah. And the Italians, I think, 
our conclusion of the trip was the Italians are the branding meisters. They get inside your head. They sell you dreams. Yeah. Like they sell you a perception of yourself, which is different. That goes from their food business to their wine business, to their cars, to all the stuff they make. Yeah, but the Italian problem is the young people are leaving. They're they're getting up and they're leaving the small towns. So like Spain as well, Italy is emptying out. It's emptying out and it's got a low birth rate. And then, yes. of course, they have immigration and that's where Maloney comes in and that's where all the, the clashes come in. Yeah, yeah. You know, fascinating. Do you remember our little trip to Poland? Yeah. You know, and now Poland has emerged with Donald Tusk as the new prime minister and it's veered away from the old right-wing Catholic stuff, but it was with James Oates and he was making that great analogy, which I thought was really interesting. He was saying that Poland was a country if you can imagine it, on roller skates. It yeah. kind of went from this part. Yes, that's right. Like that's it was right, half yeah. in the east in a while ago, now it's half in the west. Uh, and he also made the analogy that you can see the difference in culture, political culture in Poland, on the old borders. So the people who are closer to the west are much more liberal, yeah. much more open, much more democratic, pro-European. The people in the east have still this echo of Sovietism. Yes, but it's not Sovietism. It's because they hate the Russians. Mm. But it's that slightly more agrarian. Catholic traditionalist idea, you know. So it was a it was a fascinating trip. Started also, in Belgium. Do you remember? I do. On, Started on a Belgium, train. On a train. On a night very train. on a very slow moving hot night train with no electricity. Yes. But also, what was interesting as well is when we went to Sweden, the likes of Sweden, which was quite surprising actually, because we started talking about the rise of the right across Europe. Yeah. But it, but it's really obvious in Sweden. It is very obvious in Sweden. And then the other story, before we come back to politics, John, in Sweden, was the reindustrialization of the Swedish North. And yes. That's the yes, big story yeah. in Sweden. Because one of the things about Sweden, well, there's many interesting things about Sweden. Actually, I read one of the most fascinating things about Sweden recently, about the impact of economic incentives, John. Right. People react to taxes. And one of the greatest stories about how people react to taxes was, do you remember the particularly garish platforms and outfits that ABBA had? Yes. Really over the top. Love them. Right, okay, okay. Really over the top. Do you know why they dressed like that? Go on. It wasn't that they just had particularly bad taste in glam rock numbers. It was 1970s now. It was 1974, I think. 1970s. But costumes were tax deductible in Sweden. No way. Yes. So they spent a fortune on the most garish costumes in order to reduce their tax bill. Why, why, why would you come up with a policy like that? Because all high tax countries come up with all sorts of loopholes. Like Ireland is full of loopholes too, because we've got a high tax on. Yeah, the multinationals pay no tax, but everyone else pays lots of tax here. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a costume on garish tax, costumes? Like, tax relief. I can see John now in hot pants. Totally. In, totally. In, in twelve-inch platform heels, walking into McKenna's, saying, "I don't need much encouragement." Two there. But yes, but Sweden, yeah. fascinating. And then, of course, down to Iberia, talking to Pedro Vonseca about Portugal. Yes, that and, was fascinating. Actually. And also the way Pedro told the story was almost like fado. It was almost like a, a lament for a lost time yeah, yeah. of Portuguese greatness. And, and no, it was a wonderful, it was a wonderful trip around. And my old mate, Russell Jones, did the UK trip with us. Yeah. So it was, yeah, we have to do that every year, John. Absolutely. Every year. Uh, particularly in the summer. <laughs> well, particularly in some, well, John, just one thing on, on Europe, John, which was fascinating, is the country this year that has performed the best in Europe yeah. is Greece. 
the country that this time 10 years ago was Why bankrupt. Why is that? It's, again, it's, it's back to this idea that the economies are so dynamic. Mm. So the Greeks were written off 10 years ago. Yeah, remember? yeah, yeah, yeah. They had crises and Yanis Varoufakis was yeah. shouting and roaring and all this, right? Revving his bike. Revving his bike, yeah, revving his bike. And now he's big Harley Davidson or whatever it was. <laughs> What has happened is the Greeks have had 10 years of consolidation, getting their act together, and now the economy is growing. So much so that, as I told you last week, one of the Greek uh, ministers advised the Germans to sell an island oh, yes. to pay their bills. <laughs> so that's the way it goes. You know, things like countries are up, countries are down, yeah. things are going well, things are going badly. You can never tell. This is the whole idea. You can never tell. It's the beauty of economics and and this podcast, actually. Yes, exactly. You you never know what's going to happen next. So the Greeks are up. The Greeks are up. That's good. That's good for now. All right, Stavros, all is good. But the other big topic that we covered quite a few times from various different angles was this whole idea of the paradox of prudence. Yes. So Ireland, we're doing incredibly well. Huge revenue returns from the multinationals and all the rest. And we ended up with this billions. Loads of money, guys. Loads <laughs> of money. Surplus. But we don't know what to do with it. So people are saying, stick it under the mattress. Other people are saying, sort the housing yeah. problem. Other people are saying, pay the, the frontline workers, the whole lot. And other people are saying, pay down the debt and all yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, and I see. So basically, the, the economic policy needs to reflect the requirements of the society. So what one problem with economists and economic commentary in general is they see economic growth as equating to some sort of welfare. So Mm. if the GDP number is rising, people's welfare is rising, but that's not the case. If the GDP number is rising, it means that economic activity is growing. Yeah. But what you do with that activity is the key thing. That's where the wisdom comes in. That's where the, the discretion, let's say, comes in. Now, the problem in Ireland, as we know, is that we have a massive infrastructural deficit, we have a massive housing deficit, and we have a massive budget surplus, Yeah, right? And we have an underlying growing fear of our resentment towards immigration. And you cannot ever imagine absorbing in immigrants and keeping your public spending low. You have to continue to spend Mm. because the more people you have in the country the more you require hospitals and schools and creches and roads and houses, yeah, right? of course. So the paradox of thrift is the following, right? Economists have always said that we need to increase the savings rate of the country in order to have the wherewithal to invest in the future. That's the basic idea. Mm. And that prudence in itself is a meritous attribute. It's a meritous characteristic. In fact, as I said to you, it comes back from John Calvin. The bizarre thing about John Calvin and Calvinism was when the Lutherans decided to break with the Catholic Church, they needed to come up with a set of moral stories that could square their religious fervor with their wealth, because they were quite Mm. wealthy, right? And they came up with this great idea, which is a great ruse. Only rich people come up with this idea that if you, and they also believe in predestination, right? right? So if you were to be predestined, how do you know? How do you know that someone's going to go to heaven? Yeah, 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 yeah. The way they come up is you live a virtuous life on earth. Yeah. And how do you live a virtuous life on earth? You save, you don't go out and get hammered, 
Yeah. You live very, very well. It's the insurance policy. It's the insurance policy. Exactly. Yeah. Protestantism was an insurance policy against hell, yeah. right? Yeah. And it seeped into economics. And yeah. part of that was basically that countries that spend and are imprudent with their spending will always be punished. And countries that save and are fastidious in their nature will always be rewarded. But that's not the case. That's only the case if the economy is in a steady state and if there is no, what we call, exogenous pressures in the economy. And an exogenous pressure is immigration. So we now are caught with people who think that saving is prudent when we know it's highly dangerous because in the long term, we need to preserve a reasonably centrist, reasonably liberal, reasonably at peace society. You cannot have that if you have high immigration and not enough public spending. Yeah. You can't have that. Yeah. And the problem in the government is that you have a slightly woke side on the immigration. Mm-hmm. Liberal, open, yeah. let's go for it. But they are ruled by a very, very conservative side in the Department of Finance. So the left hand of the government doesn't know what the right hand is doing. And much worse, the left side of the government's brain doesn't know what the right side of the government's brain is. And the Department of Finance, by vouching for prudence, are not only not being careful, they are being highly reckless because they're imperiling the entire status quo. And we've got to keep coming back to that all the time, that the key to economics is to hold about 10 sometimes contrasting ideas in your head at the same time. That there are no simple rules, Mm. right? There isn't one to use the endogenous growth model relationship between this and this, and it's always fixed. So we will come back to this again and again and again. And the other thing, John, I'd like to add is that maybe, just maybe, the economic surpluses are not the unintended consequence of policy, but they are actually the objective of policy. Therefore, they're not a windfall. They are a permanent or quasi-permanent stream of income that we need to figure out how to spend. We need trains. We need roads. We need Housing. Housing, 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 housing. Even the Shinners were saying they want to get all house prices down to 300 grand. The only way you do that is by building more of them. The only way you build more of them is you don't go out and borrow them. You actually spend the money you have. Yeah. But of course, you know, all of that is taking place with the backdrop of the big story of the year or the ongoing story, the context of the year, which was the battle between rising inflation and rising interest rates. Absolutely right. But let's talk about that after a bit of pudding. (laughs) Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical. Medical plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So, Mike, we're doing the big review of the year. Of the, the review of 23. Of 23, 23, the podcast year that was. And we're talking about interest rates and inflation and all sorts of stuff. Well, actually, John, one of the highlights of the year for me was doing that TED Talk in, oh, yes. uh, in Vancouver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, yeah. A very strange, strange get-together in Vancouver. City that didn't really impress me, but then again, it was lashing rain for seven yeah. days. Well, that but would do doing, it for you. But doing the TED Talk was fascinating. And it was about the power of unconventional thinking. It was talking about poetry and talking about artists and how basically economics kind of hijacks a huge amount of our understanding of the world. Mm. But if we listen a little bit more to artists, new musicians, because they give themselves the permission to think unconventionally. It's true, you know, if you if you meet, I'm always fascinated when you talk to artists or musicians or painters or, you know, fiction writers, not like non-fiction writers yeah. like myself, but fiction writers. They make connections that you don't see. But unfortunately, when we're making decisions about society, those decisions about society tend to be taken from the perspective of economists and accountants and strategists and all people who are rather linear. Mm. Uh, and I, I think we should go horizontal, but it was great fun and it's done very well. And uh, yeah, no, it's it's amazing the amount of people have watched it and it just keeps ticking up all the time, which is great. You know, there I am every night saying, how many of you have me? He's a little chart, a whiteboard exactly. here in the office. <laughs> well, come here, let's get back to interest rates, interest rates and, and inflation. Uh, inflation. So, Mike, the, the whole thing of 2023 could be summed up as a battle between inflation and interest rates. Yes. And some people, like the US, seem to be winning on the inflation front. And Europe is still battling away because it's energy and all that kind of stuff is adding to it. Yeah. Now, the the Europeans, I mean, we were pretty explicit, John, in saying that, you know, inflation, we were in the team transitory a few years ago, right? That basically it was all a function largely of energy prices, then energy prices impacting on agricultural prices, and then they all those prices allowing companies to jack up prices yeah. and take profits, right? Somebody started up your new scale electrics there. I know. It's, it's, <laughs> do you remember scale electrics? I love scale electrics. You can never get it to work. Yeah, <laughs> you can never get it to work if you're sitting with who's got the battery? Either that or you'd fuse the whole house. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. So so the, the fascinating thing from the economics perspective, and I know you're almost glazing over, as I say, the fascinating thing from the economic perspective <laughs> is the following, that the American economy disinflated, so they got inflation down without the cost of driving unemployment up. Now, this is mm. a massive, massive change. So at the beginning of the year, the perception was the American rate of unemployment will have to be somewhere between 6 7 8% in order for inflation to go down. That's one idea. Mm-hmm. Second idea was that if the American economy has a Fed funds rate of 5% and therefore a mortgage rate of 6 or 7%, which it does, the American housing market will tank. 
collapse, right? Right. Now, all this came to a crescendo in early part of the year with what looked like bank failures beginning to rumble in the United States. And this all seemed to make sense from mm. a traditional economic perspective. You said high interest rates causing bad loans, bad loans causing defaults, defaults causing a run on the bank, as we saw in the Silicon Valley Bank. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Like tick economic theory 101, that makes sense. Then number two, people are going to say, okay, what's going to happen now is unemployment's going to rise. Didn't rise. Yeah. What's going to happen now is the economy is going to go into recession. I remember we talked about the American economy was the economy was saying, no, I'm not going to go into recession. So what you, the strange situation was interest rates at 5%, inflation at 5%, so real interest rates almost zero. Mm. You had a bond market that was worried about more interest rate rises in the future, right? And that's where we were. Then during the summer something begins to emerge in the United States, which is the following. One, the economy ain't slowing down. But two, more interestingly, the economies continue to produce huge amount of jobs. Tax revenues are going up. And all the while, the rate of inflation is beginning to fall, right? If the rate of inflation begins to fall, this is a cost of living boom to the government. Mm. And we get to the end of the year where Jay Powell is in the position to say to the financial markets, lads, inflation's almost done, right? We're almost there, relax. We will be cutting interest rates next year. So economic theory was kicked on its head in the last 12 months, which hasn't really been appreciated, I don't think, as to where... Or understood. That, yeah, where that leaves our understanding of how the American economy yeah, works, yeah, yeah. right? And is there other flexibilities? Are there, is there more labor? Is there higher productivity? Is technology having a big change? All those sort of things. But at the end of the day, we're looking in to a world where interest rates will look as if they're going to be falling quite significantly. Now this, I know we don't want to talk about next year, but let's just mark it. This is very good news for Joe Biden because at the end of the day, American elections are fought and won on the Bill Clinton slogan when he put that piece of paper at the end of the office in 1992 and when he was advising his people, all he kept saying was, it's the economy, stupid. Mm. That's how you win elections in America. They don't really care about Gaza. They don't really care about foreign policy. They don't really even care about immigration. It's if the average Yank is feeling that they've money in their arse pocket that their job is secure, that their house prices haven't fallen, that their 401ks, you know those yeah, things they yeah. have, their pension, done well, yeah. and the American S&P is up 20 24% this year. So interestingly, we are at an inflection point going into next year where the story of last year, the American economy was much better than expected. How that story plays out this year could be quite favourable to the centrist. But we'll talk about that maybe next week or the week yeah, after. Yeah, and just, well, just one last related thing there. The other big story, obviously, uh, well, in the latter part of the year was Israel-Palestine. And we did a, I'd like to think, a really good, and the feedback we got was a really good four-part series explaining yeah. that. But the related part to that, though, now is, and looking a little bit forward into uh, 2024, is the involvement of the Houthis and the attacks on ships in the Red Sea going into the Suez Canal. So 
what that could do is uh, upset the supply chains again yeah. in the same way as it did in, well, when the Evergrande, Evergreen ship Evergrande. blocked, Evergrande blocked yeah. the Suez Canal, but also during the pandemic. So that could put upward pressure on inflation again. But it could, it could. And of course, you mentioned you mentioned piracy, and I'm just thinking of Tom Hanks at Dorky. Wasn't <laughs> yes, he? Was, that's right. There about the biggest moment of the year. Yeah. <laughs> Tom Hanks at Dorky, and he was Captain something, something in a piracy thing. Yes, he was. Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was his, what was his name? Um, I think Captain? Captain Phillips. Captain Phillips. He was the Captain man. Phillips. He was the man. Brilliant that movie. was actually, for me, one of the highlights of the year. Yeah. Was yeah. the book festival went off so well, had so many interesting guests. And again, kind of culminating with meeting, and he was so nice, Tom Hanks. Yeah. A decent guy. Yeah. Really, yeah, really yeah, decent yeah. guy, you know. And his obsession with typewriters. I loved all this idea. Yeah. And his obsession, his books, and his, he was really, He's really... a quirky like, kind of guy, much quirkier than quirky. I thought. Yeah, very quirky, very interesting. But again, incredibly friendly, incredibly friendly. And of course, we had, uh, we had Kilconomics was another great moment in the calendar. And I'm delighted that we did that Palestine-Israel four-parter because it was good to do that history of Israel and Palestine. It was good to, I think, go back in time and see who all the players were, to see where certain factions emerged from, to see how the world has changed profoundly, and to see, I think, how looking at things from just one lens don't really shed light on what's going on. And like you, I've been stopped by loads of people who've said, look, that was a really great series. Yeah. So, you know, maybe we'll do another again in the new year and come back to it. Yeah, but you know what? Unfortunately, you spoke about it being a, a wedge issue. It's going to feature heavily and dictate all of geopolitics for the next year in 2024. Absolutely. That, that and the prospect of Russia winning in Ukraine. That's yeah. the other thing we haven't talked about, and we'll come back to that. Yeah, yeah. But speaking of wedge issues, John, what really might dictate it for you and me is the amazing effectiveness of this new slimming drug that's out, <laughs> right? This is the big story. The big story <laughs> of the year is the massive slimming <laughs> drug. So we just thought we could just sit around, eat and drink. Well, and we I, need to start that straight away. <laughs> exactly, exactly. John is only a sliver of the lad. He's over here. He's been popping the pills in that new Danish slimming drug. Listen, we'll talk to you in a couple of days' time. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.